Well, here we are. And we are fine. Yeah. Yeah, we're fine. This is Well, Here We Are, a not-so-weekly podcast which explores the ways pop culture and the humanities matter for our daily lives by distilling them into lists of three-ish things. Today, we continue our most ostentatious series and discuss Jane Austen's final and what some, including me, would say is her best work, Persuasion. And because we love a theme as much as Jane, our three-ish things center the successful and attempted persuasions throughout the novel. I'm Hannah. And I'm Suzanne. How many times do you think, have you read this book more than Pride and Prejudice? No. Probably, I think this was maybe my fourth read. And I, I think I used to read Pride and Prejudice like every other year. So I haven't read it. I'm not as familiar with persuasion as I am with Pride and Prejudice for sure. Was it always your your fave Jane Austen, or is that a more recent thing? It's been my favorite for a few years. I probably had read Pride and Prejudice like five times before I read Persuasion. So yeah, I've heard from a number of people our age who are fans of Jane Austen that there's something a- about Persuasion when you're in your uh, your late twenties and into your thirties where it just hits a bit different. And mm-hmm. a lot of people kind of come around to it as being their their favorite. My friend Kelly, she she said the same the same thing. But for a long, long time, she was all about that Pride and Prejudice, and then she kind of beats the drum of Persuasion being her favorite Jane Austen novel. I like a story about second chances, about people who make mistakes and realize their mistakes and say, "I'm not going to f it up again." I think that Anne Elliot is one of my favorite Austen characters. I wish this book were longer. It's only like 200 pages. I wish we had more of it. Are you? How are your thoughts and feelings about Dakota Johnson playing Anne Elliot in an upcoming feature-length production of Persuasion? I had a friend tell me once that she thought I look like Dakota Johnson, so I don't think that I do. But since she told me that, I am more interested in Dakota Johnson her, as a person. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. How do you feel? Do you have strong feelings? About Persuasion or Dakota Johnson? Both. No strong feelings about Dakota Johnson. So this was maybe not fair to Persuasion. I was kind of reading the book this time. I don't think I've read it in probably six or seven years. It's It's been a long while. I kind of came to this reading waiting for the moment that it usurped Emma and Pride and Prejudice as my favorite Austin works. And that never did came. not happen. No, but I I kind of kept waiting for it. And I wonder if maybe I put a little too much pressure on mm. myself and this book. But also, after we have this discussion, I do plan to read it again, because I always learn a lot from you and kind of how you approach Jane Austen and the themes and the characters. I will probably like it more because I kind of have your insights to ground it. Okay, well, now you're just putting a lot of pressure on me. (laughs) So basically, if I never like this book as much as you do, it's 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 my fault. Yeah, it's Mm -hmm. because I'm not eloquent. Yeah, Yeah, no, no, I know. So shall we try to give a summary of of this book, my friend? Yes, let's. This is one book where they they keep mentioning what happens in what years. We're going to set the scene. It's like Napoleonic Wars times. It's like 1806. Once upon a time in 1806... 
Anne Elliot and Frederick Wentworth fall in love. They're real young and dumb, but they want to get married, as young and dumb people often choose to. Anne and Wentworth seek permission from Anne's father, who, while he doesn't forbid it, makes it very clear that he hates it. He hates this whole thing. <laughs> because he's a wealthy mm-hmm. guy, and Frederick Wentworth with lots is of land. Like, with lots of land, and Frederick is just some guy with big dreams of making it big in the Navy. Which is also why another character, Lady Russell, does not care for this engagement. Lady Russell is kind of Anne's surrogate mother figure, because I forgot to mention Anne's mom is deceased. Sad. Anne can handle the disapproval of her father and her her older sister, who's two years older than her, also disapproves. She can kind of handle that, but she can't really handle the disapproval of Lady Russell. So she calls off the proposal with Frederick, and she tries to get Wentworth to see that it is, in the long term, the good and right decision. Cut to eight years later, these Napoleonic Wars have have ceased, I presume. Yes, those are the wars that they keep talking about, right? Yeah, they're kind of on again, off again. Okay, well, there's, you know... Um, they're off again now. <laughs> they're off again. Anne is now 27, the age of Ugh. Charlotte Lucas, another well-known spinster. And the book lets us know that she is now without bloom. She has lost her bloom. And she's very single. Also, her older sister, Elizabeth, who disapproved the match, she's still single, but she's pretty, so... It's not as much of a problem. It's Anne's dad is very bad with money. There's this history of them living well beyond their means, which Anne's mother could kind of temper. But those instincts of his to ostentatiously uh, spend his wealth have not been curbed in the same way that they were able to when Anne's mother was alive. So they have to basically lease out the house and move elsewhere to a smaller home to try to save the estate. And who should they lease the house to but Frederick's sister and his brother-in-law? Dun-dun-dun! Dun-dun-dun! Because as we learn in this book, there's only about 100 families in Regency England. So they all just... they all know each other. They all know each other. And might be related. Everyone's marrying their first cousins or not marrying them. Spoiler alert. We have a lot of chats. There's lots of conversations. So many invitations to dinners. Frederick is now a very wealthy naval captain. And he is single and ready to mingle. But not with Anne. To be clear, hates. He hates Anne. He loathes the sight of her. And he has definitely noticed that she has lost her bloom. Something about, he says that she's so altered, he would hardly know her. Mr. Darcy harsh. would never. <laughs> it's real harsh. Instead, he kind of seems to be interested in Louisa Musgrove, who is the sister-in-law of Anne's younger sister. Is that, just go with it. Everything's fine. Louisa is everything that Anne isn't. She's impulsive. She's young. She's strong-willed. She seems to still have her bloom. And Wentworth <laughs> is here for it. Bloom watch. Louisa has it <laughs> and does not. At one point, they go to Lyme. Lyme is a coastal city in England. 
Anne is there. I forget why Anne's there. I think because everyone else is there, but they're all there. And Louisa, beautiful, young, impulsive, strong-willed Louisa. There's this set of stairs in Lyme. And rather than walk down the stairs, she likes to go to the top and jump down them and have Wentworth catch her. But one time she does it and mistimes it and she falls and she cracks her head open. It's big and dramatic and Wentworth blames himself. But this whole affair essentially brings an end to his interest in Louisa. It's not because she hit her head. It's not because she has a scar or something and he's like, ew, she's <laughs> gross now. It's... <laughs> And then they all go to Bath. Bath is the town where Anne's father and older sister have relocated to. There are more dinners. There are more conversations in highly decorated rooms. And Wentworth joins them in Bath. Again, I forget why. But his dislike of Anne has seemingly gone away. Bloom watch. Her bloom has started to come back. And Wentworth's hatred has seemingly also gone away. In fact, Anne starts to suspect that he might be interested in her once again, but also interested in her is her cousin. Yay! <laughs> the cousin, the his end, name is Mr. Elliot. Mr. Elliot. Yeah, you should know not that. to confuse everything, but Anne Elliot is the cousin of Mr. Elliot, and her dad is Sir Elliot, Sir Walter Elliot. Yeah. They're all Elliots. In the end, the cousin is bad. We hate Mr. Elliot. He's terrible. Wentworth is still good, he still loves Anne, and he's super sorry. He feels awful. Also, Anne's bloom officially returned, so Anne and Wentworth get married. Lady Russell is like, whoops, I guess, you know, mistakes were made, not by me, but by some people, you know, it's to say. <laughs> some might say mistakes were made. <laughs> and they all live happily ever after, except for Elizabeth, who is still single. But pretty, we think. Yeah, Single, how long is that going to last? Yeah, we don't know. We don't know. Bloom Watch. Bloom Watch. 2022. When I was reading this book, and I think, Hannah, you said for you too, the thing that kind of jumped out to me was the repeated use of this theme of persuasion. So I think the word or variations of the word persuade are in the book over 30 times. There's also the word convince or variations on the word convince are used quite a bit in treat. There's lots of discussions of the firmness of one's character or what, how persuadable is one's character. So this really kind of jumped out to us as a theme. This book was, was published posthumously, so after she had passed away. So we don't think she picked the title Persuasion, whereas we as modern readers see Persuasion and kind of read the book through that lens. Maybe Jane Austen intended that. Maybe she didn't. We don't really know. But that's what we are going to look at it through the lens of today. <laughs> so our three-ish things for today are going to be four things. And they're going to be focusing on the instances of attempted and successful persuasion throughout the novel. So the first one is going to be basically the prologue when Lady Russell successfully persuades Anne not to marry Whitworth. And then Anne unsuccessfully persuades Wentworth that that is the right choice. The second one will be when the Elliot family are persuaded to leave their home at Kellynch Hall and go to Bath. The third one that we're going to discuss is the transition of Louisa's character. So starting with the conversation that Anne overhears between Louisa and Wentworth and then leading up through the sort of climax when Louisa decides to jump off the stairs and she gets injured. 
And the final one that we are going to discuss is the persuasion or lack thereof surrounding the proposal of Mr. Elliot to Anne Elliot. Which doesn't happen. He never actually proposes. But there's some strong insinuations. The first persuasion, our prologue persuasion, is probably, if you're familiar with the book Persuasion, you are familiar with these plot points, which is Anne and Frederick are engaged young. She is persuaded to call off the engagement. That is that is the setting before before the book starts. This persuasion, I think, serves as the spine for the entire novel. Everything is motivated and mobilized by this act of persuasion. And we can see how people's attitudes change, how they've grown, how they've matured, based on how they talk about, think about, refer to this specific persuasion. The most important thing about this persuasion is that this persuasion, the success of it, and then also Anne's failure to persuade Wentworth, like, hey, this is a good idea. This is going to be the best for both of us. Without this persuasion, this book obviously doesn't exist. The story doesn't exist. And there's also the element of when we are getting to know Wentworth and when he seems to really dislike Anne when he comes back, the element of how persuadable she was kind of makes him think that she is a strong, not a strong, she is a weak-willed person and that maybe she wasn't right for him all along. And that over the course of their reacquaintance, he has, he is forced to reconsider that opinion, which I think is, is very interesting. I haven't really seen a, a, I think I have, maybe I haven't, a film production of this, but but I was telling you I watched this movie called Modern Persuasion. At the very end of the movie, they essentially have the Anne character tell the Lady Russell character, you were wrong to have advised me the way you did. You're not my mom. I should have trusted myself. And you need to stop trying to control my life. It's a very, like, modern obviously persuasion, but it's a very like 21st century way of looking at it. And that is really not. Not what happens in the book. That's not how Anne feels in the book at all. She comes to the conclusion and she says to Lady Russell, I was not wrong to take your advice, but I wouldn't give somebody else's advice. So I reread this book this time, and while I was rereading it, I was like, well, that's dumb. She should have not taken Lady Russell's advice, and she <laughs> should see that that was dumb. But when I was thinking about it more, my kind of take on this is that her taking Lady Russell's advice and coming to realize that she would have been happier if she hadn't is a motivating factor for the character development that happens before the book starts. <laughs> and obviously because that all happens off page, anyone is free to disagree with me because that's just what I'm reading into it. You are but entitled to your wrong and dumb opinion. but Anne yeah. is correct. <laughs> but I'm right because I love this book. But Anne is such a, a strong character in the sense that she really knows her own value by the time the book starts. And it just seems like when she was 19 and rejects this or calls off the engagement, that she does not see her own value, that she's just looking for someone to love. By learning from her mistakes, she becomes who she is, and she is she's going to take that second chance when it comes to her. 
I get the sense that, because I think the book says something about how her and Frederick fell in love very quickly. In large part, that's because Anne was just looking for someone to love her. I could see if your mother type figure said, look, you are 19. You just met this guy. This feeling you have isn't the feeling that you think it is of being like, oh, okay. And then really what happens over the next eight years is that Anne, she's courted by another man, the man who ends up marrying her younger sister. She seemingly has other acquaintances, other people she's met. She's eventually courted by her cousin, Mr. Elliot. There's an insinuation that one of Wentworth's friends is also kind of interested in her. So she has all these other opportunities to kind of weigh the man that Frederick is against these other people. And She's like, oh, no, that wasn't me just being young and dumb. (laughs) I was right. I was right the whole time. I was right the whole time, but she didn't know she was right the whole time. There, there was no way for her to know to know that. If you if you take the advice that Lady Russell gives her and Anne's reaction to it completely in a vacuum without knowing who Frederick was eight years later, it doesn't necessarily seem like an ill advised thing that she listened to her. I, I want to contrast it a little bit in my mind with what happens between Elizabeth Bennett and Wickham because Lizzie's 20, Anne's 19, Wickham's in the army, Wentworth is in the Navy. They're both like very good natured. Everybody's good natured and they are seem quick to fall in love. And with Lizzie, we know that it turns out to be a huge mistake, that relationship with Wickham or the, you know, insinuated relationship. Mm-hmm. And so if we look at that and then look at this, we could see how in the absence of other information, it could have been a mistake. We've said in previous podcasts that Jane does what she wants. <laughs> she just, <laughs> she'll just do, she just declares things. So one of the things that's really interesting is that when she inter- introduces a character, she will often be like, and this is their fatal flaw. <laughs> you don't have to look for it. She just outright tells you. And one of the things she outright tells us, the reader, is that Lady Russell, even though she is good-natured and she loves Anne and she cares a lot about her and she is sensible, one of the things we as the reader learns is that Lady Russell is predisposed to think more highly of people that come from higher ranks within Regency, within Regency England. Right? That's something we know. I don't know if Anne would necessarily, as a 19 year old, have observed that in the same way. I don't know if she would have pinpointed part of Lady Russell's disapproval of the match to be not only is she worried that Frederick doesn't have enough to support her, but also he's not of a good enough social class for her. Maybe she would have, but but that's that's one thing where we're like, well, yeah, Lady Russell sucks, but <laughs> Anne doesn't necessarily have all the information that we have because Jane Austen just declares for us who Lady <laughs> Russell is and all of her goodness and all of her badness. And she didn't do that for Anne Elliot. But you were also interested, I think, in the in the way that Anne attempts to persuade Wentworth that they're breaking the engagement is a good thing. I see in this prologue the first two persuasions, right? There's the successful persuasion of Lady Russell to Anne, and there's Anne's unsuccessful 
persuasion of Wentworth. Because what the book tells us is that Anne would not have gone through with breaking off the engagement unless she really believed that it was ultimately the right thing for Wentworth. And that is what she tries to get Wentworth to see, is that ultimately this is the right thing for both of us. And it is the, the text is very clear that he never believes her. He, he never comes around to that point of view. And I think that that is actually pretty crucial because if Wentworth had been convinced that it was the right thing to do, he probably wouldn't have been nearly as heartbroken. <laughs> and he, he, or heartbroken in the same way. And he definitely wouldn't have come back to meet Anne and have that kind of anger towards her and, and that like, we say hatred, which is a little strong, but, but it's that, strong. It's but just funnier. He is uncomfortable to be around her. He tries not to sit near her. He tries not to be left one on one with her. He he doesn't want to be around her. If she had really been able to convince him, this is the best thing for both of us. I feel like he would have moved on. Right. But there's something about her being for him the one who got away that means that even though he is trying to avoid her, he is always thinking of her. I I kind of liken this to how in theater stage actors, they have to kind of cheat out their bodies to the audience so that the audience can see the action that is happening. And Frederick throughout the book, even when he's like, I can't stand her, he <laughs> he cheats out everything he says and everything he does to her. He's constantly aware of where she is in the room, what she is thinking, what she's expressing, who she's talking to. It'd be a very different book if they parted amicably. They were like, yep, handshake, handshake, you're right, we're young and dumb. And then they go their separate ways amicably, and eight years later, they meet each other again. It's a very different book. Yeah, now I'm trying to imagine what that book would be like, and I'm like, ugh, this sounds boring. (laughs) All right, second persuasion. This is kind of more of an incidental plot point, but I think it gets at some important character dynamics, is the Kellynch Hall persuasion. Kellynch Hall is the estate wherein the Elliot family lives, and due to Sir Walter Elliot's mismanagement of the estate, they need to lease it out to Frederick's sister and brother-in-law. They're going to go, her sister and father go to Bath, and Anne goes to stay with her younger sister for a while. I think because her sister isn't feeling well. She air quotes isn't feeling well. Yeah. So she's like, okay, I have to go help my direly ill sister. And then she shows up and her sister's like, I'm fine. Why'd you hurry? I I went to dinner last night, but like, that's probably why I'm also maybe going to die. (laughs) (laughs) Why is this a, a persuasion that is worth us considering? I think that this really shows us Anne's kind of sphere of influence. They decide that they have to move to Bath. There's discussion of retrenching, which I still don't fully understand what it means. I think it's like budgeting, and they don't want to. They don't want to do that. So they decide to go to Bath, save themselves a whole bundle of money. Elizabeth tries it, and she's like, maybe we give a couple less parties. We'll give fewer presents to the people in the neighborhood, and we won't give any presents to Anne or the other sister. Anne is convinced that if they do like a full 
retrenchment that they can make this work. She also knows that nobody in her family respects her opinion. So she kind of has to go through, I guess, like go-between of Lady Russell because she knows that her father cares more for Lady Russell's opinion than for Anne's opinion. It doesn't really work. So the family has the family decides to go to Bath, which Anne also hates. And then we see that Anne, instead of going to Bath, has to go hang out with her dying sister, Mary, who is not dying. I think that's where we really get to know the character of Anne Elliot, that she Mm -hmm. knows that her father and sister don't value her opinion. So she kind of doesn't even bother. She's not going to waste her energy on them. But she knows that she is valued by these other people. These people care about her opinion. They use her as a go-between in more like constructive ways. She knows that she is well thought of there. I I think what you see in both places, though, and this is why, for me, I think Wentworth is such a good match for her, is that it feels like everyone in Anne's sphere, so her older sister, her father, Lady Russell, her younger sister, her brother-in-law, they all kind of see Anne as being useful to them in, in some way. Right. Mm-hmm. And and yeah. she is valuable because she is useful. Yes, that that is true. That she's not valued for herself, really. Yeah. Which is why when, you know, Captain Benwick wants to sit and chat with her about literature, it makes her little sister be like, Well, clearly he's not interested in Anne, because why would anyone be interested in Anne? <laughs> because it doesn't occur to her that maybe he just likes her personality. And Captain Wentworth, very similarly, he just delights in getting to be with Anne. And his brother-in-law and sister, they just delight in getting to be with her. They just enjoy her company. And then I, I think one of the other things where these two spheres are very different is that even Lady Russell, who loves her dearly, it says in part she loves her so much because she reminds her of her mother, right? Mm-hmm. And yeah. She doesn't necessarily love Anne solely for being who Anne is. She she loves Anne in large part because of who Anne reminds her of. And every time Anne has a forthright opinion to Lady Russell, it kind of gets discounted a little bit. She tells Lady Russell, I don't want my family to relocate to Bath because I don't like Bath. And Lady Russell immediately in her head is like, well, she only doesn't like Bath because of this reason and this reason, but those aren't good reasons not to like Bath, so we should go to Bath. And it's like, okay, come on, Lady Russell. Like, Do you actually want to hear her opinion, or do you want her opinion to be a mirror of yours? I know that I consider Lady Russell as like, the relationship between them is very much as surrogate mother and daughter, but I hadn't, I hadn't thought about like, Lady Russell doesn't see Anne. She just wants Anne to be a mirror of herself. I think that's... And she wants what is best for Anne as long as what's best for Anne is also what's best for her. Which is probably going to ultimately lead to them having a better relationship in, you know, further on into their lives if we were to see a part two of this. Because the person that Anne marries is the person that she chose for herself. It, mm-hmm. It's not either person that Lady Russell wanted her to marry. You kind of see this next persuasion as really creating the climax of the entire book, which is what happens when they go to Lyme. And this starts when Anne overhears a conversation between Wentworth 
and Louisa. Again, Louisa is Anne's brother-in-law's sister, however you want to say that. So <laughs> Louisa and Wentworth apparently have an attachment, and Anne overhears a conversation between the, the two of them. And then, pretty quickly thereafter, we have the great tragedy of the book when Louisa is injured. Yeah, I think that there's before this and after this. There's like before the jump, basically, and after the jump. Both the relationship between Anne and Wentworth and just Wentworth's character. The conversation that Anne overhears is one that is basically about persuasion. Louisa is talking about how easily persuaded her own sister is. She talks about the influence or her perceived influence of Lady Russell on Anne. And Anne overhears Wentworth saying, you should stick always to your purpose. You shouldn't let people persuade you. You should have a strong character. You should do whatever you want. And then that leads almost immediately to Louisa deciding that she is just going to jump down these stairs as many times as she wants. So Wentworth will catch her. This is Regency flirtation. No matter how many people say, hey, you know what, this is actually super dangerous, please don't do it. She continues to do it until she's actually injured. And this is when Wentworth sees his own role in persuading other people, if you if you want. He sees how his conversation with Louisa may have influenced her to do that. And also how she is so strong-willed that she won't listen to other people to her own detriment. So he starts to have to reconsider his own opinion about the evils and goods of, of being persuadable. And what Anne comes away from that thinking, her fault was not that she was persuaded. Her, her part was that she, her fault was that she was too persuadable. And that Wentworth now has in his mind this idea that she never sticks to her convictions. Anything anyone wants her to do, she will accommodate. That's not an accurate reading of who of who she is, but this is where she kind of has her, okay, it's really over. We are never, ever, ever getting back together. <laughs> Wentworth, I think, didn't realize his own power to influence other people. And he also didn't realize that he was kind of toying with other people in a in a way that was potentially hazardous to them and to himself. He never really thought seriously about Louisa. It wasn't until she was sick that everyone was like, I mean, you have to stay here because you love her so much and you guys are basically engaged. And he's like, wait, what? He uh, basically well, did that thing where he knew his ex was going to be at a party. And so he shows up to the party and he dances with a lot of women. And he's like, I'm just showing her that I'm okay. But then all of the women he's flirting with are like, He's showing me that he's really into me. Yeah. And he had a he, he gives his number to every woman that he dances with. And then when when one of them starts calling him all the time, he's like, Oh, uh, but I didn't didn't mean it like that. This is also right after Anne and Mr. Elliot see each other for the first time, and he's like, Awooga, hubba hubba. <laughs> is that bloom I see? <laughs> A lot of things, they're not in line for very long, but a lot of things happen while they're there. <laughs> uh, so Jane Austen, she hated Bath. She thought it was a place where vapid social climbers <laughs> like to congregate. So here's a little textual clue. If you ever read a novel and characters love Bath, 
Jane Austen does not think very kindly about them. Um, <laughs> Anne loves Lyme. She loves it. When her and Wentworth end up getting together again later and they see each other, they just spend a lot of time talking about how great Bath or how great Lyme is and how they can't wait to go back again. Whereas her new suitor, Mr. Elliot, speaks very highly of Bath and kind of just gives a cursory mention of how he did like Lyme, but he seems very comfortable and very happy to be in Bath. Does that bring us into our fourth point that we wanted to talk about since we so eloquently introduced Mr. Elliot? Oh, we did. What a transition. Good on us. <laughs> yeah. The fourth and final persuasion or the persuasion yes. that could have been and kind of was. But isn't, but also is. It's a Schrodinger's persuasion. <laughs> In Bath, the worst city on earth, as um, written by Jane Austen, Anne Elliot is frequently thrown into the circle of Mr. Elliot, who we don't realize at the time is pure evil, because he isn't. He's kind of complex, but he basically is pure evil. Are you confused? So am I. Mr. Elliot. Be a solo pod with you. Yeah. Where you I just try to work out my feelings. About <laughs> I see both sides. Okay. Blue check. I, I okay. can, yeah, I can devil's advocate for myself. Yeah, everybody thinks that Anne is going to marry Mr. Elliot, including Mr. Elliot. Mr. Elliot only... is her cousin, and he is the heir to all the land of Sir Walter. Right. So, so everyone wants, well, everybody wants Elizabeth to marry him. Even Wentworth is convinced that Anne and Mr. Elliot are going to be engaged imminently and Anne is the only one who's like I, is there something I'm missing I don't I don't get why everyone is so convinced that this is going to happen in spite of everybody's being so sure and everybody trying to influence her including once again Lady Russell that marrying Mr. Elliot makes the most sense and is pretty sure that she's not going to do that she's not interested <laughs> thank you so much for your input I'm going to have to turn that down. She's not Emma. She's not Elizabeth Bennet, right? Who are two very strong-minded women and vocalize how strong-minded they are a lot more readily. And just kind of just has this core of this core of certainty within her. And so even as Lady Russell is trying to kind of subtly hint that she thinks it would be good to encourage Mr. Elliot's interest. Anne's just like, no, I'm, I'm not going to do that. And I'm not going to say anything because if Mr. Elliot proposes, I'll deal with Mr. Elliot proposing. And then this kind of resolve is confirmed as the right decision when one of Anne's old schoolmates, whose husband was friends with Mr. Elliot. She was friends with Mr. Elliot. Her old schoolmate kind of confides in her that Mr. Elliot is not a scrupulous man, which doesn't convince Anne to not accept his proposal. All it does is convince Anne her- that she was right all yeah. along. And I think I think for Wentworth, because, you know, surprise, they get back together in arguably one of the most romantic sequences that Jane Austen has ever written, which we haven't even like touched on. This book is also deeply <laughs> romantic and the romance <laughs> that blooms between them is really great. Like we're talking about like yeah. the nitty gritty of persuasions, but like it's also deeply charming and romantic and their and relationship a well -developed, develops is great. Yeah. Like 
All of that is also wonderful. But one of the things that Wentworth says to her is he he almost tries to give like all of the reasons why she should have considered Mr. Elliot. And hers is basically like, no, I was never going to. And so that for him is a moment where he's like, okay, I knew I was wrong that she was this, you know, completely too persuadable person. But here is a very specific incident where she is very clearly not too persuadable. Yeah. One thing that I think is is a really sweet thing that happens in this is that while everyone is talking to her about Mr. Elliot, everyone is so convinced that she's going to marry Mr. Elliot. She realizes that not only is she not going to marry Mr. Elliot, she's not going to marry anyone unless it's Frederick Wentworth. This is when that kind of resolve is is hardened. Because we don't know how seriously she considered Captain Benick, but it's clear towards the end of the book that there is nobody out there for her except for Wentworth. The question that all of these persuasions together asks, and this is, you know, our theme of the book of persuasion, what do you think in general, taken all together, Jane Austen is trying to say about persuasion? Is it good to be persuaded? Is it bad to be persuaded? Was Lady Russell wrong? Was Anne wrong? Was Wentworth right the whole time? I feel like you've you've created like one of those like murder boards with like the red the red string yep. connecting mm-hmm. people in my mind. <laughs> <laughs> they were right about this persuasion, but they were wrong about this persuasion. So when taken together, but like cons- considered in a certain light, like maybe I think the way I interpret this is that persuasion is fine as long as you adequately interpret your own value and adequately interpret the value of the person whose advice you are considering taking. When Anne takes Lady Russell's advice at the very beginning of the novel, it's because she highly values Lady Russell's opinion and she doesn't value her own opinion enough. And then towards the end, we see the reverse of that, that she doesn't take Lady Russell's opinion because she values her own opinion so highly. But there's other instances in which it's like, it's implied that if someone does take someone's opinion, that would have actually been a better situation. But because people kind of throw around their their opinions and their advice willy-nilly, people aren't aren't judging to the degree that they necessarily should in their relationships with these people. I don't know if I'm making any sense if I've, if I've talked myself around the murder board. <laughs> what do you think? <laughs> I did a Google search of... Uh, there's a website called Project Gutenberg that it has just a bunch of, you know, essentially public domain texts available online to read. And so I did a little word search of all the various uses of the word persuasion and convince and implore and and all of the different thesaurus words. <laughs> and the thing that I was struck by was how often the word persuaded is used with the passive voice. So it'll say, Anne was persuaded to do this thing. But there's no there's no mention of who persuaded her or who she was persuaded by. The effect of that, I think, is that it, it creates this sense that persuasion is just a force. Influence is a force. Every person goes through life encountering 
thoughts, ideas, people that whether they realize it or not are working to persuade and influence you. It's not that persuasion is good or persuasion is bad or that a person who is never persuaded is virtuous and somebody who's always persuaded is evil. Persuasion is just a force. So if persuasion is the wind that is buffeting against the ship, the question is, is how sturdy is your ship? What direction is your ship pointed in? This works really well because Frederick Wentworth is a naval captain. (laughs) What direction is your ship pointed how how much of that wind can you buffet? How much can you handle? What you have is, at the beginning of the story, Anne, who is not very sure of herself, she knows what she wants, but maybe her ship isn't quite reinforced. It is kind of easier to blow her off course. And it's not so easy to by the end of the book. I really like your extended metaphor. It's way better than my murder board. <laughs> What if it was a murder aboard a ship? I'm sure yeah, that happened too. Yeah. <laughs> On a scale from strong ship to uh, the Laconia <laughs> falling apart, or to the asp, the asp that's totally falling apart, how would you rate persuasion and would you recommend it? If I just had the first half of this book, if I just had pre Lime, everything that came before <laughs> Lime, I would be like, yeah, I'm okay if I don't I don't read this book again. I think everything that happens after Lime is really what makes the book yeah, for me. Yeah, I agree. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I would recommend it. It still, for me, in terms of my Austin hierarchy, falls well below Emma and Pride and Prejudice. But like I said, when I return to it, kind of with your perspective and this conversation in mind, I imagine that I will have a lot of affection for it. Thank goodness for what happens after Lyme. Wentworth's letter continues to be one of the like most mm. romantic things that's ever been written. And- oh, and the way he delivers it to her. Mm. <laughs> so spicy. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> Where does it rank? Where in uh, uh, relation to Northanger? Oh yeah, that's a good question. Northanger, I think of as like Jane Austen's beach read, right? Yeah, so it's it's, it's like, fluffy. Yeah. It's fluffy. It's lovely. It's great. But persuasion is a better crafted, much more sophisticated novel, and for that reason, I would I would put it definitely above Northanger. But we're withholding judgment, I guess, on Mansfield Park and Sense and Sensibility. Yeah. Mansfield Park, I can already tell you. I could pretty much tell you my answer to this question right now for Mansfield Park. But well, we'll, well don't we'll we have to that. we'll say we that. have we'll to d- <laughs> draw people in so they listen to our episode. The best book. It's the best <laughs> book. Everyone should read it. And Hannah, A2, did you I mean, obviously, you confirmed you declared your yeah. I love it. Feelings at the beginning, but do you did you yes. like the book and would you recommend it? I would recommend it. It's a lot funnier than I remember. Despite the fact that the word persuasion and convince and all those words are used so many times, I feel like it's more it's more subtle and it's got a lot more depth. And and I know that, but I forgot how funny it was. But I also I just love the character of Anne Elliot. I think she is so well constructed and compelling. As I established in the Emma episode, if the Jane Austen character that I actually am is John Knightley, 
the Jane Austen character that I aspire to be is is Anne Elliot, and I I want to see her in more books. I guess there's fanfic, but I love it. Strong recommend. Where does Wentworth rank for you among Austen heroes? Uh, top. He's top. He's your top. top. He's your top man. Wait, I have to think about all of them. Yeah, top. He's top. No flaws. No notes. Perfect. No man. notes. He's perfect. I love him. I think he's he's the best. And I also think that he his character is also very well constructed. Like I believe him as a character. I believe his anger and his resentment and his jealousy and the way he comes around. I believe it all. I love him. He's great. I love them both. I love him as a couple. No notes. Brava. Jane Austen. Now we would like to hear from you, our listeners. Hopefully our approximately 80 listeners. You can get involved in the discussion by tweeting at us or commenting on this episode's post on Instagram, both places we are at wellhearpod. You can also email us at wellhearpod at gmail.com. Don't forget to go to wherever you get your podcasts and click that I'm ready to be persuaded the just right amount button, which you might know is a follow button. And until next time, I'm Suzanne, and my Mac Glow Play blush ensures I am always with blue. And I'm Hannah, and I might also retrench by reducing my donations to charity. And well, here we are. I see a mother there, a lover and a child. I know a war will come and take away their lives.